0: Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. I'm Ira Jersey. I'm here today with an interview special. I'm here with PJ Savage, who's a registered intermediary with U.S. Soccer. I'm thinking that basically means, PJ, that you're a player's agent. Is that the best way to describe what you do?
1: That's the best way to explain it. Yes.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. So how did you become an agent? And, you know, tell talk about the process of, you know, basically how you got into this business and what you did prior to uh, to becoming an agent.
1: Sure. It um, was my path maybe a little bit different. I didn't play professionally. Um, I actually uh, met my wife um, or who's now my wife and she was in medical school in Richmond, Virginia, and the process of graduating med school, you get a white envelope that basically tells you where you're going for residency, um, and we ended up, 2008, moving from Richmond, Virginia to Portland, Oregon. Um, landed in Portland and, um, you know, ended up finding a job with a with a company um, that did online sports education programs, and then in addition to that, they were At agencies, so they were a little bit heavy on NFL, um, not a whole lot of interest in soccer. And, you know, soccer obviously my passion. Um, You know, I just basically approached them one day and just said, Hey, would you, would you, you know, let me, you know, basically start the soccer agency portion of the company? And not knowing what I was doing and how I was going to go about doing it, um, they said yes and off I went. Um, And so that was way back sort of 2009. Um, And then, yeah, just basically fumbled my way through uh, the process initially. And then, um, you know, a few years ago, I just went out on my own. Um, So I have a company now, Highland Sports Management. Um, And then, actually here in the last week, I just brought on Joachim Graf. Joachim was a player that um, was a client of mine um, over the last few years and expressed some interest and you know the agent world and the agent business and you know good opportunity for him to to learn and see if it's something that he wants to do going forward so here we are you know in 2019 now and um, you know I love what I do you know I can't it's hard for me to complain um, when you're working in an industry that you're passionate about so
0: so talk talk to us about the registration process so you you know you mentioned that your official title is registered intermediary with u s soccer so so u s soccer actually regulates you somehow and you know what what relationship I guess you have with them and and what is that registration process like?
1: Yeah before everything used to be done through FIFA um and then a few years back, basically FIFA gave i suppose the I suppose, the regulations to each federation. So, in England, the FA oversees, you know, the English agents. You know, in Scotland, it's, you know, the SFA. Um, Obviously, here in in the U.S., it's going to be U.S. soccer. Um, You know, the process now, it's actually really not that difficult. Um, The last time I looked, now, granted, it might have changed, but, um, you know, as a registered agent now, basically, you know, I i suppose reapply each year you write a check and basically you just sort of roll over but if you're looking to become a registered agent if i'm not mistaken um and i you know i don't think the process has changed uh literally it's a application a 400 dollar check and they do a background check on you and then from there you know if you get the green light you're you basically get registered as an agent and off
0: you go so. do you have to do anything else with the federation um i know you know the teams have to register their players and things like that but are you involved in any of that part of the process nope okay so talk to us about how you find players to represent is it a matter of scouting do they approach you uh, you know what's the what's the typical path or maybe there's two or three typical paths that players find representation uh through you
1: Yeah, you touched on a couple. Um, You know, really, I've been been doing it a while now that a lot of it is referral-based, which is great. Um, You know, but then, you know, there are certain players that I like that basically you're grassroots marketing. Um, You know, you get a name and a number and start making calls. Um, And so, you know, obviously, I respect the fact that some players might have, you know, agents uh, that they're signed with some don't and some are looking to make a change and so um you know really you know it's a combination of all efforts to basically work with guys um for me you know the the attributes that I like for a player are sort of that blue collar mentality you know guys that sort of you know work hard get their head down and, and basically you know aren't content with just you know their first contract you know they want to they want to get better on the field they want to compete they want to win and then you know we see where the process takes us so yeah i mean you know it's it's not rocket science what i do um you know i'm lucky enough now that you know based on you know what i've done over the last few years i like to think i've got a, a a good standing relationship in the industry um and so you know a lot of it now is referral based which which for me you know, it's it's a good indication that I'm doing something
0: right. So do you ever g- try to go to a combines or you go to the College Cup or something like that to and and kind of see some players and maybe approach them and say, hey, you know, if you're thinking about going pro, you know, we might have an opportunity or two for you next year. Like, is that one of the paths that, uh, that, that you try and take on occasion is trying to get, you know, say, college players into the next level?
1: Um, it's not a primary focus of mine. Um, I'm not very heavy in on the college side. Um, you know, if I do go after college players, I typically go after the D2 or the NAIA guys. I like to, for me, the mentality of those players, I like, um, you know, they, you know, they're hungry and they're driven. They're more than happy to jump in a car and drive 10 hours if it means, you know, getting into preseason somewhere and, and, and getting a look. Um, so for me, that's where... If I chase, you know, college players, or I get recommended a college guy, that that for me is a is a good sweet spot. Um, you know, and those are the types of guys that I like. So I, I really don't focus too much on, um, you know, on on chasing college players unless you know it's obviously someone that comes recommended, and then I do a little bit of due diligence, and then from there go through the process. So, um, you know, I personally. I mean, I've never been to the MLS Combine. Um, Obviously, now the Combine has changed. Um, You know, they're obviously no longer going to do it. But, you know, for me, um, I'd like to spend more time just sort of, you know, due diligence, watching film, um, talking to people and, and getting basically character references from other coaches, PDL coaches, MPSL coaches, if it's a college guy. And then from there, sort of making a decision. And then obviously... You know, it has to be reciprocated by the player, you know, um, you know, obviously it's a process where you're trying to establish trust with a player on a phone call, which obviously is pretty hard to do in 10 minutes. Um, but it's, you know, it's a process that sort of evolves. And then obviously, you know, with the college players, you can't sign college guys until they're finished. Um, you sign them before, you know, they're, they're, they become ineligible.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. W- well aware. So. One of the things when we talk to coaches and general managers, um, directors of soccer, sporting directors, whomever we talk to at clubs, is they always say that finding players is – important to have good relationships with agents and a lot of times you know they'll they'll say that they do you know some of their own scouting but because especially in usl championship and in particular usl league one their front offices and even the sporting side is so sparsely populated with just people in headcount um, that they rely on on agents to find appropriate players given um i guess given certain criteria so if they say you know we need a a pacey attacker who can play on the wing is is you know how do you go about helping them because clearly that that seems to be the relationship that uh that the agents have with uh with the team so can you talk a little bit about that relationship how you how you go about kind of uh sourcing players for a lot of these teams
1: yeah i mean obviously i have a player pool uh, you know clients of my own that obviously i'm committed to um you know so obviously now quote unquote we're in the off season i mean obviously there's a couple of weeks left and in the usl championship but um you know right now obviously you know teams are recruiting heavily you know they're, they're trying to see what's out there versus you know what they currently have in house and whether or not they decide to pick up someone's option or not and so um you know i start you know the process you know and a lot of it is just conversations and you know over the years you know I've developed very good relationships with head coaches and gNs and I get an idea of the types of players, not just in terms of a, you know their on the field presence but also character off the field um, you know on, on on what maybe certain coaches like and tend to sort of gravitate towards. Um, if I don't have a player in my pool that maybe fits the attributes or maybe, I get the feedback that basically says, hey, you know, okay, yeah, he's okay. But, you know, looking for, you know, someone that's maybe a little bit more pacey or whatever happens to be a little bit more bite Then, yeah, you know, I have gone out in the past and I'll try and find a player that maybe matches closely or more closely to what they're actively looking for. And that can be done through, again, you know, some of my clients that, um, you know, have relationships, obviously, with other players. And then, um, you know, you go through that process. So, you know, there are players, you know, that, you know, a lot of teams don't necessarily know a lot on. I mean, I think if you were to ask, you know, coaches in the USL, and I'm speaking specifically on the championship here, if you were to ask coaches and GMs about players in the East and then vice versa, like, I mean, these guys have so much going on through the year that there's – not a whole lot of attention focused on the other conference, if that makes sense. So there is a lot of education. Right.
0: I guess just because they don't play those teams, they don't really watch tape on them, you know, that kind of thing. So, so, so so basically you watch a lot of football is what, what you're telling me.
1: I do. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I have to, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's what I do. And I, obviously I enjoy it. Um, never a bad thing on a Saturday night with a couple of beers, watching, you know, watching, you know, watching your clients play on the TV, it's, it's never, never a bad situation to be in. So, um, but that, but that, you know, my, me bringing that up is more just sort of, you know, if you've got a player in the East and maybe there's someone in the West, you know, that I think, you know, is a good fit, then yeah, it's, it's educating, you know, a lot of the teams have, you know, scouting software, like or Instat. And so it allows them to jump on real quick and, you know, do, you know, do some due diligence and then, you know, from there, obviously they'll make phone calls, you know, they'll get, rec- you know, recommendations from maybe other players or other coaches in the league. And then basically just start, you know, it's just a snowball effect at that point. Um, and then if it's, if it's a match, great. And then you enter into the negotiation process and go from there.
0: So let's then focus in, since you brought us right there, let's talk about the negotiation process. How, how does that typically, how does it typically work? Is it um, kind of do things start on the team side or do they start on your side? And, um, you know, is it, uh, you know, do, do you wind up traveling in person or is it all done via email and, and phone? So, yeah, you know, t- take us through the process of, I don't want to say a typical, uh, a typical negotiation, but, you know, maybe a prototypical negotiation.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to jump on a plane and, you know, fly out to California and, you know, negotiate a deal when, you know, we have, you know, things like Skype and WhatsApp and, um, you know, we have, you know, we have an ability to pick up the phone and call someone and and move things along quicker than maybe what it would be to jump on a, on on a plane. Um, So most of the stuff is done over phone. I mean, that's, that's just the reality. Um, So, We, you know, if a team likes a player and the player likes the idea of the team, then, yeah, you enter into, I suppose, the early stages of negotiation. Um, You know, obviously, players, this is their living. You know, you're trying to maximize, you know, their income. Um, Obviously, there's a base salary that's a big proportion of what they're going to make through the year. I mean, you know, and that's. That's the first step. Then you know there's bonuses and different things like that that, that can be negotiated. Uh, if it's international guys, you're talking about flights. Um, you know, obviously visa costs. Um, you know, housing. You know, the family. Obviously, they might want a housing stipend that they can go out and find their own accommodation as opposed to saying within the team's accommodation. So, you know, obviously a lot of facets that sort of are involved. Um, you know, I think the big thing, you know, for me is, you know, I have a very good pulse on you know especially in the usl um a very good pulse on the market value to some extent of a player if that makes sense and so um you know it's it's working with a team through the process of trying to you know make it win-win for everyone if that makes sense
0: what tends to be the biggest sticking point other than salary? Is, is there something that maybe people wouldn't know? I mean, obviously, money is the big thing, right? So, you know, a player uh-huh. wants X and, you know, the, the the team is willing to pay Y and, you know, you have that negotiation. But other than that, is there one thing? Is it things like housing stipend? Is it things like, you know, health care, you know, things like that?
1: Yeah, there is. I mean, obviously, every team is a little bit different and every player is a little bit different. Um, yeah, I mean, you can... You know, some guys prefer two-year deals as opposed to having options. Um, you know, some guys want you know housing stipends. You know, they don't want to stay you know in in the in the team apartments. Um, you know, some guys you know would rather have buyouts. You know, in their contracts, um, and some teams you know would prefer not to. And so, it, it it's really case by case on. You know each player and sort of what their, you know their what's important to them. Um, you know health insurance obviously, you know is is a big deal. Um, you know obviously clubs have workers comp and different things like that, but um, but yeah, you know health insurance is now becoming you know more and more important to players. I feel it's coming up more often, but to the credit of you know, the league and the clubs in the league, uh, both at, you know, the championship and league one levels, like clubs are starting to address those concerns. And so, um, so yeah, you know, I've had situations where, you know, the club might not necessarily offer um, health insurance, but, you know, they would help subsidize um, uh, like healthcare premiums um, as part of like, you know, a a bonus structure, if that makes sense, being part of the compensation package. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so, yeah, so it's, you know, the league is evolving and changing, um, you know, and so it's, it's, it's a good thing. We're moving in the right direction. Um, but really, I mean, housing, you know, housing and salary are always the big ticket items, um, you know, for, 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 for players.
0: So obviously you've worked in, you know, USL Championship for a while. Now we have USL League One, which obviously the League One Fun podcast, uh, you know, covered over its inaugural season and and going into season two, we'll be looking at what players are coming back and what players maybe are moving on and up. Uh, I, I found you through talking to a couple of players who uh, are in League One and uh, and you represent, talk to me about what you think about League 1 right now and and kind of how the first year has gone from kind of an agent's perspective and now that they're in the off season um you, you know what what you're doing now in in the League 1 space in particular
1: Yeah, I you know when 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 it was first announced I mean I think there was a lot of I'll be upfront like you know I had a little bit of skepticism. Um it felt a little rushed and when the process is rushed sometimes things can you know Slip through the cracks, but in all fairness, the players that I have through League One, um, I actually think you know from you know a club standpoint, you know clubs have tried to do right by the players, um, which is which is good. Um, obviously, players understand that there are some restrictions, um, but the intent of the clubs to do, to do right it has, has been there, and I, you know for me, I can't ask more than that. Um, I actually think the league overall, the quality in the league is, uh, you know, better than what I thought it would be. Uh, It's a great platform for obviously, you know, maybe young guys coming out of college that, you know, that gives them an opportunity to play. Um, I'm a firm believer in young guys go and play games. Um, You know, there's no, no sense of sitting on a bench somewhere when, you know, maybe there is an opportunity in league one that allows you to play games week in week out and and basically develop and get better. Um, You know, obviously You know, the the, uh, if you look at the league and you look at the clubs in the league, some teams took an approach of, you know, like Tormenta, where basically, for the most part, it was first-year pros. Uh, Richmond, on the other hand, had a combination. Uh, They had some experienced guys in there, um, you know, that, you know, provided maybe some guidance. And then, obviously, you had the young players that came through. And then, you know, you look at what North Texas did and just... Just a bunch of young kids that can play um you know and and they did well, you know, and that's it's a good thing for the league um you know that it it allows players to showcase themselves and then from there, we're gonna have movement you know there will be movement from guys going from league one into the championship um, the interesting thing is now gonna come. You know, and what we're finding now is, you know, especially for a lot of players in League One, they're probably, you know, if they're not on two year deals, you know, they might have an option. Um, If they've done well, clubs are going to pick up their option. And so now we get into it where, you know, if there is a championship team interested, sort of what happens, because it's uncharted territory for everyone. Um,
0: yes. So that was going to be my next question about the, you know, the the infrastructure. You know, we all think, you know, people play, you know, games like Football Manager and and FIFA and things like that. And you always think that there's, you know, so much more money than, you know, there really is, particularly, I guess, in the U.S. <laughs> but but I, I found I actually was talking to someone in uh, an EFL League Two team, and he's like, yeah, like, you know, FIFA said that we have like a $4 million transfer budget. Like, you know, that's like our whole budget for the whole team for the year. Um, like, you know, so that that's wildly optimistic too. You you know, how do you think that this will, um, that, that this will over time, uh, kind of the transfer fee infrastructure might be created because if you have mls teams that might be willing to buy a championship player that then could feed in and a championship player could use a portion of those proceeds to buy a league one player kind of thing but right now it's really untested waters do you how do you think it it might uh it might play out you know have you talked to any general managers who are say well look we can pay you know five or ten thousand dollars for this player but we're not going to pay 50 and and you know what's the um you know what's the thinking right now maybe within w- within the infrastructure of the leagues
1: yeah i mean obviously if you look at europe it's, it's different you know an established transfer system is, is, has been in place here in the us it's not so much i mean if you look at the history of don't we see the history but if you look just going back you know even sort of the last three four five years if you look at and and remove the mls2 teams from the usl if you look at players from quote-unquote independent clubs you know from the championship going into mls like it's it's pretty sparse it's you know transfer fees being paid by mls teams for usl championship players it doesn't really happen um
0: you're, See that seems okay. that seems really weird to me because you have you have MLS teams that are willing to uh, that are willing to to give up um, a. A, a, a draft, right? So a college draft for fifty thousand dollars. It seems to be the going rate for a, for a first round draft pick. But meanwhile, you could go to a USL Championship team or even a League One team, and f- maybe even for less than that, be able to pick up someone who's proved themselves that they can play at a professional level. I, I mean, it seems kind of seems kind of strange that that does <laughs> that that hasn't translated.
1: Ira, you're starting to, you're starting to talk common sense. Common sense, you know, in U.S. soccer doesn't doesn't necessarily always prevail. I agree with you. That's that's the frustration that I go, that I fight every off season, and it typically leads to laptop going out the, you know, or phone going out the window because it is frustrating. Because guys, you know, come into the championship, they do well, and they compete, and they develop. You know, they're still under twenty five. You know, they've maybe got you know thirty games in them in one season, sixty games, you know, in two years, yet. You know, there seems to be an onus on, you know, MOS teams giving deals to, you know, college players um, as opposed to, you know, guys, you know, from the USL Championship. So until that changes, like, you know, it's, the system is what it is. Do I see it changing? I don't know, truthfully. I I hope it does, but I have no reason to believe that it will. Um, You know, I think TAM... You know, and I don't mean to speak out of term here. I think TAM has sort of incentivized, you know, a lot of clubs to go after, you know, maybe young international players as opposed to, you know, basically, you know, playing or bringing players in um, that maybe play at a lower level in the in, in, in the country. Um, you know, from MLS to championship, like it's rare. Championship to championship, transfer fees. I mean, I think maybe... I mean, I can maybe give you uh, I, I only know of two even in the last sort of three, four years that I'm talking about money, money changing hands, not foreign spots or player trades. I'm specifically talking about actual actual dollars and cents. Um, and so what that means for League One. To be determined, you know, I think, you know, I think. The clubs in League One that give these players an opportunity to come in and do well, um, they have every right to ask for a transfer fee. Every right. You know, they've developed the guy, they've given them an opportunity, they've invested in them when no one else has. And, you know, they have a right. You know, from the championship standpoint, you know, because it's unheard of and because it's uncommon, um, you know. I think teams are going to be hesitant, and I think teams are hesitant about paying paying for transfer fees because, you know, budgets are already tight in the championship. And so, you know, every dollar goes a long way. Um, I just, I hope it happens and I hope infrastructure can, can be put in place. I, I think it's, if it is going to go that way, it's going to certainly take, you know, a lot of time. It's not going to happen overnight, in my opinion. Um You know, it's 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 an interesting process, and I've recently gone through it. Connor Antley, USL League One um,
0: defender of the the year. Defender of the year. I, you know, I had mentioned on uh, on a few times that I think that he's definitely someone who should be playing at a higher level over the next year. I I even think he projects personally to, uh, to to an MLS team. I can think of three MLS teams just off the top of my head who could really use a right back of his quality.
1: I agree. I agree, and that you know he. He's a guy that really did well this year, you know, defender of the year, all league team. Um, and, you know, we, you know, the the, the folks at, at Tormento were great. John, the head coach, Darren, the owner, like they were great. They understand Connor's desire to play at a higher level. Um, and they were happy and willing to help him, you know, achieve that goal. And although it hasn't become public, like, you know, there. you know, Connor has signed a deal, you know, to move up. Um, I mean, all that information will come out here shortly. But, but, you know, the interesting thing for me is, you know, I've never gone, obviously, you know, from League One to Championship, like, it's the first time that, you know, I've even gone through that process of, hey, you know, Championship teams, this is a guy, yeah, we really like him. Well, this is the reality, of, you know, of what the club is looking for in return. And so, yeah, like some clubs were just, you know, and rightly so, we're just like, yeah, it's just not something that we're willing to do. Um, And so,
0: I I would guess though, PJ, I would guess though, PJ, like one thing from a tormenta standpoint, that you know, someone like a Connor doing really well and then you know moving up to the championship that's good for them for recruiting, right? If nothing else, you say, look, you come play when you're in college for Tormenta 2. If you're good enough, we'll get you onto our team. And then, you know, once you spend a year in League 1, you know, we'll be willing to, you know, talk about you moving up to to even better things. So I would guess at the end of the day that that's also not a bad recruiting tool, at least from an optics and news perspective for, for the club either, right?
1: I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, but I also understand from the club standpoint that, if they're going to utilize that tactic, you know, they, you know, they want to be compensated in return for doing that from a championship standpoint or from an MLS standpoint, if that makes sense. And, and that comes from, you know, teams willing to pay transfer fees, um, you know, and so, yes, is maybe Connor's situation or, you know, if anyone else from Tormenta is moving on, I'm not sure, but does that allow, you know, is it a great success story for the club and, and, yeah, of course. But, you know, ultimately, when it's all said and done, you know, the club is the club is a business and, you know, they're there, obviously, to, you know, to help support players and give them an opportunity to showcase themselves. But, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, and players want to move on, then, you know, they have every right to ask for a transfer fee. Um, and it's now, you know, maybe now that more people are talking about it, maybe, you know, maybe we get somewhere with it. I just... I'm not sure if it's going to happen it's going to certainly take some time.
0: Great. Well, PJ, you've been more than uh, more than than great with your time. I really appreciate you d- talking on League One Fun today. Uh, if people uh, you know want to follow you on social media or anything, do you ever ever post about your players and stuff?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I every well, I mean maybe I don't want to say every day, but maybe every other day there's a, a little bit of shame that comes off me every time I post on social media. It's something <laughs> that I'm not Comfortable with it personally, but it's something from a business standpoint that I get. It's important. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I, I do it because you know it's 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 something that has to be done. Um, you know, from a business standpoint, and then also it's a great opportunity because you never know. I mean, I'm just starting to learn now the power of social media. You know, I've had you know I've put posts up, and then I've had clubs from you know Europe call me about certain uh, I don't know. I don't know how the algorithms all work, but um, you know, when you ask, well, how did you find out about this guy? And it's like, Oh yeah, it's like, you know, I showed up on my Instagram feed and it's like so it is it is a good selling and recruiting tactic. Um you know, I'm at Highland Sports Management. Um, you know, and so Twitter, Instagram.
0: And that was players agent PJ Savage. When we come back, we'll be talking to South Georgia Tormenta co-owner Darren Van Tassel. Stay with us. Registration is now open for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Make your
1: plans to join us January 15th through the 19th for five days of coaching education, networking, meal and social functions, award presentations and more. Register before December 11th to secure the best rate. Visit UnitedSoccerCoachesConvention.org to learn more. The United Soccer Coaches Convention, your event for all things coaching.
0: Now I'm here with Darren Van Tassel, who is the co-owner of South Georgia Tormenta. Darren, thanks very much for coming on League One Fun. It's a big,
2: uh, it's a big honor for me. I am a, what do they say? I'm a longtime listener, first time,
0: (laughs) first time caller.
2: (laughs) That's great, and um, so so honored to do some postseason wrap up with you. And um, listen, I'm a fan of the show.
0: Well, thanks very much. I appreciate that. So why don't we just get right into that then? What were your first impressions of your first season running a professional team?
2: You know, it wasn't our first time with Tormenta FC, but it was the first time I returned pro. Um, I felt like we had a lot of the things in place. The season is long. We knew that. Um, we can't wait to get into our, our new stadium, and that's going to be beyond exciting. I it was so fun to watch the preparation week in and week out and how you just deal with the stuff, not just on Saturdays when we're playing. Um, the league is really good, Ira. Um, the teams play well. They play hard. I felt like any of us could have beaten any of us on any given day. Um, I could do without all the injuries that, that we went through because it felt like an epic um, amount of them. I listened um you know, I, I think I think some folks wonder, do, do you have a team that's built through the year or they just get tired? And I can tell you it's Tormenta we just got hurt and um, you know, I had to plow through some things. But I, I think every team that wins any championship in any given year is the one that probably has injured the least. And um but I was really pleased with the quality of play. I liked um I I think one of the neatest stories in 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 pro soccer around the world has been USL league one right here in in North America, mainly because it was our first time, but so many opportunities that wait, we will get so much better at this as we go.
0: So uh, talk a little bit about how the community building, because I know a lot of people, obviously with one of your, your bad injuries with Lucas Coutinho, um, you know, you, the whole community came, soccer community globally really, came together in order to support him. And, you know, you guys were great with bringing up the, the family and making sure that he had all the support that he needed. Talk a little bit about the community aspect of of the team and all of the things around the, both the players as well as the um, the front office.
2: You know, the thing that will not translate on this interview is the cold chills that just went over my entire body just listening um, to you ask the question. Um I don't think I'll ever see something quite like that again. First of all, the injury was really hard to watch. Um, but we learned so much about ourselves as people. It can get cliche-ish, and I do not want to, when really tough times happen. Um, nothing quite like watching one of the people you go to work with every day being a, in a hospital-induced coma for about six days and sort of wondering what's going to happen. It was a reminder, Ira, how many people were paying attention. And it was a reminder how many people cared. And, it, you know, we didn't want to stop playing. We couldn't stop playing. We didn't want to stop winning. Um, That that game happened against FC Tucson, and I will tell you their coaching staff and players probably reached out as much as anybody did. It it got personal real fast. And then you heard from the other folks around the soccer world, you know, from – the folks that we knew about and we, we publicized that openly to really a lot of exciting names who just wanted to send their greetings um, but wanted to sort of keep it private and i think that's when you know sport is gets to be magical um you know people around me i would probably get tired of me talking about you know sport art music and food are part of the four global languages that connect us all and identify us and we create identities with them they don't always last forever by the way, when they're not going great, Ira, they can burn your house down too. <laughs> you know those sorts of um, those sorts of commitments. But it is really fun to be part of something bigger um, than just us. And that injury to Lucas certainly um, showed, really demonstrated how we got to feel. But quite frankly, I, I, I thought it was a story as much about all the teams in the league and in sport in general as, much as it much was about the community that ser- surrounds Tormenta.
0: So moving on to hopefully happier times, and we, we still wish uh, Lucas our best, and, and uh, hopefully we'll see him on the field again next season. Um, obviously, you're building infrastructure around both your first team and your second team, and, you know, we see a lot of stuff that you're doing with Tormenta 2 as well. But talk to us about the stadium. Um, you know, you guys had a great plan. The renderings were, were fantastic. Um, you know, how is how the, um, the, the stadium move going?
2: Well, you know, we broke ground for it in, in late March. There's so much to do to build things of that. When you want to build a stadium that's going to be the appropriate one in 30 years from now, not just the next five, you have to get those right. The infrastructure's been um, coming out of the ground since then. I'll anecdotally tell you that the front office staff all walked down yesterday just because they were pouring the curb and gutter from the uh, from the machine that was putting it down for the roads. Um so we follow every little detail. Uh, you know, you have to get the infrastructure down. It's not unlike building a, a neighborhood. The houses don't go up until the streets and the street lights are um, up. And, and we are in those stages. Um, we will certainly be ready for 2021. I think we uh, really had hoped maybe the end of 20 mid year, end of 2020, it could happen. But I think realistically, we're only building this thing a little bit bigger than, than some of our plans we're not on steep not on seating capacity 5300 will still be the right size for us but uh, we want to make sure that it's a, a stadium that can hold multiple um, events and not just the soccer games where tormenta and first team and the second team are playing and on the academy side but also where georgia started men's and women's division one soccer teams will play but also for the concerts and and live entertainment. So we, we have to get that part, right. Um, You know, stadiums I think are central to how professional sports teams in any league survive. You have to have that stadium down properly. So it's a, it's a community project. Um, People drive by and take pictures all the time, Um, but it'll take a minute um, to get it completed. So it's pretty clear to us you know, 2020 will still be where we have been playing. And fortunately, that's a great pitch for us to play on and a super um, place to be. But when I drove by about 30 minutes ago, um, Ira, um, there were eight excavators and four bulldozers and seven dump trucks out there, (laughs) four concrete trucks. So there are so many ways to measure um, progress, but it's well along
0: its way. That's great. So now that the season's over, what are you know, what have you been doing now that things are over? You also have other activities, obviously, outside of the soccer team that you're working on. You know, what, how do you strike that balance, firstly? And then secondly, for the team, you know, what, what kind of are the next steps? Because, you know, clearly there's, you know, some teams have already dropped some, uh, some of their rosters who they re-signed or who they picked up options on. Um, you know, how is, how is that progressing?
1: there's a
2: lot to learn about all of this. I, I, the off season for me is certainly busier than during the season. And I'm plenty busy during the season. Um, you know, he introduced me as a co-owner and the other co-owners, my wife, nature and, and some of our other partners. Um, we, we clearly have been, um, very busy. The, and some of that you're right, there's rosters to be decided. And we've communicated to um, our players, you know what direction we want to be in. Hardest thing that is the single most difficult part of this piece here, because when players, you know, move to being employees of the club, you know, making decisions about who's staying and who's moving forward, and how do we get stronger at that, and who's going to get to move on, maybe move up. Um, those are those are really tough pieces, and I think because we are so committed to having the first team and the second team in both league one and league two. um, There's a lot of those, that organizational piece to get right. How many guys you will have in your roster for league one, how many will be on league two, how many can be league one eligible while playing on league two. So if you have to call them up in the middle of the year, which is what we would have loved to do this past year, but so many of our, Guys that will be future pros for us still had college eligibility, so we needed to make sure we kept their status. You can see some of those GM sorts of decisions that that, that run through our minds. Um, I've spent a lot of time talking to other owners in the league, um, other GMs. I think it is kind of interesting for fans of, um, of, uh, of the USL to know there is a really uh, a kindred group amongst owners and, and, and GMs and some coaches that we really do feel like we're on the same team. Um, even when we're playing against each other, we, you know, we're clearly going to, we, we need to win and, and to win big against each other, but we want to figure this piece out together. So there've been lots of conversations about that. And my goodness, the off season doesn't last long, Ira. We're in just the second week of December, we'll be down in, orlando this year for the usl uh, winter summit and we'll blink and the schedule will be out and then the players will start reporting by the first of february and here we go so it's not much of an offseason
0: <laughs> well it, yeah it's definitely for the front office staff the offseason is probably the busiest time and and uh, not that you can breathe at other times so but maybe maybe you can at least uh d- slow down a little bit so talk yeah. to, so i
2: think right now part of the offseason is we're we're preparing for a Josh Phelps wedding here in a couple of weeks, so <laughs> a lot of us are making sure our schedules are are, are, are put together. So we'll, we'll be all there in um, in mid November.
0: Have to make sure you get those uh, items that are on his list as well, right? So uh, try <laughs> that's to, right. Trying to figure out which dinner plates or, or soup bowls to get them. Um, so talk talk a little bit about the you mentioned a moment ago about which players are staying going or maybe moving up. So obviously you had one of the standout probably the three or four really standout players uh, in the league this year in in your right back Connor Antley. Um, you know I've mentioned on this show many times that I thought that he really was you know I, I think he's probably MLS quality quite frankly. You know talk to us a little bit about you know calls that you get from uh, maybe championship or MLS teams or. Um, you know, if 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 they have contacted you about a few few of your other players, maybe as well. And, you know, how those conversations go, because one thing that, that we just talked about with a players agent was that, that there's not this infrastructure in U.S. soccer yet to have transfers, that it's always, you know, who's out of contract. Who's a free agent? Um, you know, maybe you do trades among players like I need look, I need a center midfielder. You have a, a right back. Let's just you know swap swap players, basically. Um, talk to us about how you think that landscape is going to change now that we have kind of the pyramid built out among League One uh, at some level. NISA may coming on uh, the championship and MLS.
2: I, I think you spot on. So much of that was inferred in the question. You're right with the pyramid now sort of locking itself down much better. You know, the the transfer piece really it's very ad hoc. So it's a lot about agents calling. It's about GMs from other teams calling. Lean fielded lots of those calls during the year. Um really uh it's really exciting to know that you're being noticed. Um Connor Antley um certainly is uh, with all the accolades he had this year, he's not by himself, but Connor is easily the one that stood out the most and he's getting lots of attention. He was getting lots of attention during the year and he's gotten even more afterwards. So we've had four, five, six players who went on trial with some championship teams as soon as the season ended, that's not uncommon. Um, and we'll continue to do that one. It's not just a good way to showcase them, but it's sort of the right thing to do that gives them a chance to spend a week with some clubs and they bring that, that back to us. I think we're writing the rules right now and we are creating the scripts. You know, the the USL and obviously the championship has never had a pro division below it before. And so we're in very much uncharted waters about what it looks like when you move from league one to the championship. And and I do feel a bit of a um, obligation to the league and to you know, soccer folks in the rest of the country that we make sure we're getting this right. We're setting some precedents um, in terms of what happens. Um, how does that process look like? What do the contracts look like? Um, if they have an option or an existing contract, how much are they being bought out for? Can you make sure that there's a, a, a move-on transfer fee in there so that, you know, if they move up from that club to somebody else or head to Europe, that the clubs that are um, developing them are still getting – getting credit for that that's a tough system i think in north america's sort of cracking um through all of that um you know back to connor um there's a great teammate we're, we're all giant fans of of his but you know had connor not played for us in league two i don't know that he would have gotten noticed Connor didn't start for us for the first eight games of the league two season Had an injury go down and then we couldn't get him out of the lineup. Such a fun story for me to uh, be able to, to share with others. But it is a classic case where I, I agree with you. I think Connor is MLS, uh worthy. He's got great pace and size and um, being domestic is going to help him as he climbs that ladder. I mean, what do you do? How do you compensate those teams that were, or sort of at the bottom, and and, um, and and getting them going forward. We're working through it. Ira. I hope we're getting it right. I, I hope we're setting some of the right precedents.
0: Well, it'll be really interesting to uh, to see what happens in the future. So one one of the things that I've been been thinking about, just from the entire soccer landscape, and this is me editorializing here a little bit, is mm-hmm. if MLS teams are willing to pay fifty thousand dollars for a uh, for a college draft pick in the MLS draft, wouldn't it make more sense to spend you know, some portion of that, or maybe even fifty thousand dollars, to get a solid um, player from, say, USL Championship or League One. And you know, once you have that, uh, say, a championship team getting forty thousand dollars in transfer fees, then that team now has to look for good talent. And if they happen to find that talent in League One, then they can use a portion of that transfer fee to, uh, to to pay to you. So I think that there's a there's a whole infrastructure and economy that could grow up around this. It just kind of I think has to be tested a little bit, and you have to have someone. Uh, willing to, to uh, uh, willing to take the plunge in order to see how that will ultimately work, and uh, you know I'm an economist by uh, by trade, so so I think about these things all the time, and like what makes economic sense. It seems like sometimes in the soccer community doesn't always uh, doesn't always pan out.
2: Yeah, I, I think your finger is directly on the button, and the MLS draft is a perfect one to have as you have used as a comparison. I think it does behoove us as, as owners at all the various levels. Um, it, it's hard. There just aren't many precedents here, on and what to draw from in terms of the uh, uh, North American experience. Um, there's plenty of the uh, examples where the MLS is doing transfer fees too with international players. Far less. There's actually not a ton of examples with you know, domestic players as they sort of moved up along the way. So we're writing. We're um, that and you know I, as owners in, in in the third division, but i don't think it's listen the second division was just was just uh, you know' kind of in the same place we were not long ago before the restructuring you know getting the monetization piece of this right is critical if we're going to to grow it and there's a perception challenge that um that at least i'm going to make sure that the clubs that we get to interact with um or are reminded about it, you know, first and foremost, um, I am crazy about Torment FC. I'm crazy about our league. I, um, I can't tell you how much the players here matter to all of us and watching them grow and progress is what we're here to do, but we are absolutely going to win championships, um, along the way. It is not a case for me of, are you developing players or are you going to try to win championships? To me, that is not a choice. You do both. And um, we will be unapologetic about that. Um, and, and if guys get a chance to move, to move up, that's fantastic um, for us. And, um, you know, Connor and some of his teammates are, are nicely placed to do that. It, it brings me so much joy, too, Ira, because they came up through our League 2 system. So um, it's something that I get really excited about.
0: Yeah, presum- pres- presumably, and this will be my last question. It pr- presumably, even if you don't get a transfer fee, when you see players who were identified by Tormenta Two and then wound up on the first team, and now moving up to championship, for example, that's got to be a good recruiting tool, right? To say, look, if you go to college, and you know we like you, come here because you will have a pathway if you are good enough in order to uh, to keep moving up and and uh, increase your career.
2: Thank you for recognizing that. that by design. So when we recruited our 2018, what was PDL, but our league two team, I mean, it was all with the notion that if we do well, we're all moving up to the pros. And we brought uh, 12 players from that team who, became, who we signed off of it. Now we signed them ourselves. They were our own, but we developed them. And a couple of our academy players too. And so this past year in 2019, our ability to place players on the, the second team was 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 massive, and it's why we had such great successes. And again, the same sort of thing as steamrolling because we don't have to just talk about. You get an option to, you know, get called up. You get an option to to sign. We have really an extraordinary track record of precedence here. So, the recruiting piece um, it's a bit overwhelming in terms of all the players that want to come. Play at Tormenta FC. I think our unique angle, Ira, is always those young, hungry, um, new players that are coming through the system. Um, I think that too will attract. But think about this. This past year, we had, uh, you know, our 22, 24-man roster, we probably had 20 to 21 uh, rookies. Um, next year, we'll only have a couple. And um, that's a really fun fun piece of of how we're growing and so much of our recruiting for the first team gets to be recruiting them directly to the second team.
0: Well, thanks very much. That's Darren Van Tassel, the co-owner of South Georgia Tormenta. I can be found at Ira Jersey, and you can connect with the show at League One. That's at and league and the number one fun. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, and check out bgn.fm for all the other great podcasts and written content about USL League One and the championship. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of Major League Soccer, United Soccer Leagues, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. On behalf of PJ and myself, until next time, hashtag support local soccer.